Alright. <sighs> Dunkin' Donuts. Not a sponsor of the podcast, but delicious. I drink my coffee black. Or I have been drinking my coffee black for a while now. I used to do the cream, the sugar, all that stuff. And then I just tried black, and now I like black. Because I don't drink as much coffee. So, that's good. But I like the effects of coffee. Uh, oh yeah, what's up guys? I'm fucking here. We're here, we're back. Podcast is back. Stoked. Um, today's been fucking awesome. Went to my niece's baby shower. So sick. Um, bunch of good food. A uh, bunch of good desserts. My whole family was there. Everyone was happy. Uh, the little ones are running around happy. Playing. Uh, my niece got so much cool stuff for her baby shower. She's going to be set till the kid's at least one years old. She's got so many diapers. So many clothes. Uh, it was sick. I'm going to put an edit, edit up on my Facebook probably tonight of my um, niece's baby shower. And I also put up flag football, too. If you go to my Facebook and check it out, it's just Anthony Shetler. It's an athlete page. Uh, I put up one of flag football, too. I went with my buddy Josh and Ryan, and uh, they play flag, flag football. They signed up. They paid, as a team, 800 bucks, and they got a pretty good team. They lost their first game, but, uh, you know, I was reporting. I, I went and just kind of cheerleaded and uh, had my camera, and I made a little edit and put it up on my Facebook it's uh in the next one i'm gonna film another one but it's gonna be all the highlights from the game this one's kind of like you know behind the scenes leading up to the game but it was pretty sick i i never actually seen flag football played like, like that like that serious they paid there it was indoors the field was immaculate they had a scoreboard they had two referees blowing the whistle it was it was cool as shit um okay what else what else new england and one week away dude holy shit the shops, man, I'm looking at Red Alert, Civil, North of the Border, Longs, Edge, Juice, Hive, Riot, Ryerfield, Ideal, Graffiti Skate Zone, Solstice, Edge. Like, so many damn skate shops. Um, I'm getting excited. So this Saturday, coming up, the October 3rd, we're going to have 14 and under, 15 and over divisions. And then that night, we're going to go to No Problemo uh, for live music and burritos and some beers, too. I'm going to have a beer, too, for sure. Uh, and then the next day we're going to wake up and it's going to be, you know, October 4th, uh, which will be a Sunday. And we will be waking up, going to the skate park, and there will be old man jam, VIP jam, people that build DIYs, the DIY creators. We're going to have a jam for people like that, personalities, in, you know, characters, everyone that adds the skateboarding in any which way. We're going to have a jam for those dudes. It's going to be sick. And uh, we're going to give out some cool gifts and from our sponsors. Uh, so we'll give some of that out. It'll be sick. And give those guys some recognition, man. They all, they all shred, you know. And then later in the day, we're going to do the skate shop invite division, which is every skate shop brings three riders, three of their gnarliest riders. Because last year was insane. This, this year is going to be crazy. So we'll do the old man jam, VIP, DIY, skate shop owner jam. And then later in the day, we'll do... The fucking skate shop invite, and that's going to get heavy. And then we're going to end the day with the world footwear best trick. And I got some cash to give out for that, so that's going to be sick. I'll give out some cash for bangers, and uh, we, we're going to do a gap. This is the Shetler Show. Whatever you do, you have one thing that's unique. You have the ability to make up. When things get tough, this is what you should do. Microphone check, one, two, one, two. Microphone check, one, two, one, two. Oh, oh. 
hope to get it. I'm sick of explaining history. I'm rolling with a circle of winners. We claim the victories. Yeah. Yeah. Come on. It's about to be the realest shit you ever heard. You're in a transitional world right now. Yeah, it's just basically going for it. And then sometimes you don't know, think about getting hurt or slamming, but you know, it happens. It's skateboarding. You know, it happens every day. Yep. People are worried about skateboarding and the skate state of the industry. Yeah. The truth is, we are the industry. Yeah. Skateboarders are the industry. Experience, I guess, just because there's like I've never seen like that many skaters in one place. Just like it's like we take over the streets. All right, technology today. I know it's a pain in the ass, man. It's surprising. I really haven't had this much trouble. But for whatever reason today, the technology. Yeah, just. Yeah. yeah, it's not cooperating. Yeah, it's just being a pain in the ass, man. Thanks a lot, you goddamn Skype. But uh, <laughs> today's guest, we got Cam Russell. Take Thank three. Take three, but that's all right. We're gonna make it happen. I'm stoked to talk. We got the man's a legend. He's done a lot in skateboarding. I I grew up watching you skate in videos. Stuck stuck in the middle of the East Coast winters, watching the Osiris, the Storm video. Watching you and all all of it and the magazines and all this stuff, you were you grew up in the mecca of skateboarding, right in Southern California, man. Do you do, do you feel like that's a crazy place to grow up skateboarding? Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's kind of a place a crazy yeah, it's a, a crazy place to grow up in general. In, in some ways, you know, where I think you know with that weather, you know, it just kind of makes people sort of be able to do a lot of things all year round and. I don't know, in some ways it almost makes people really laid back too, you know? Like, you're just sort of like taking it for granted. You're just, everyone's just happy, sunshine 24-7. And, you know, I go back to the East Coast and people are like, you know, angry that they have to be in the winter for six months. It makes people a little bit more, you know, on it, more aggressive, like fighting for what they need to get done. And and then when I go back to Boston right now, it's just back out there. The weather was perfect. It was actually better than it was here. Yeah. And uh, you see people just, like, jogging in the streets, just happy, like, loving life, you know what I mean? So I feel like people, like, appreciate it a little bit more, you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. When I lived in Long Beach for two years, and I had what you would call the groundhog effect, or the groundhog's day effect, where you wake up and you're Bill Murray, and it's the same day over and over again. Yep. It's, like, so easy to take the good weather for granted. I totally would be like, ah, I'll just fucking do it tomorrow. It's going to be nice to be 70s, like... Doesn't matter. You just feel and I, stuck in time, kind of. And I kind of feel like that's how it is in skateboarding. Like, a lot of people take it for granted, right? They just think that because everything's around them, the companies are here, the magazines are here, videos are being done right in front of them, and I think they just take it for granted a little bit, you know? Yeah, it's easy. It's, I imagine it's easy, too, because you're just right in the thick of it, and it doesn't... Like, with an outside perspective, you can really see what's going on, but when you're in it, you don't really... You don't really see what's going on. It's easy to take it for granted. Um, yeah. That being said, um, do you think you had a hard time making it into like the sponsorship game of skateboarding with it being so oversaturated? I, I feel like it's really oversaturated right where you came up. Yeah, I think uh, the big thing for me was, um, <clears throat> you know, you get to a certain point where everyone's trying to do everyone's tricks. And for me, you know, seeing some of the people who were very influential at that time, like I was mentioning before, opening up that Thrasher magazine, seeing Mark Gonzalez all in the Gons Gap and doing these ledge tricks that no one's ever seen before. So for me, it was kind of like 
that level, you know, putting yourself out there like, okay, everyone's doing tray flips, you know, can you do tray flip down 10, 12, you know, same thing with, with some of the uh, rail tricks, flip tricks, whatever, you know, a lot of people are getting tech around there, and so dudes who are killing it on, like, really good ledge tech tricks, they're, like, super good, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, so you know, some of those tricks are, like, you know, they're taking you forever to get, and you're just like, I'm not going to be day one. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> you know, and and um, everyone's got their thing. So for me, it just came easy for me to kind of do things a little bit farther, higher. You know, the impact didn't bother me, didn't really phase me. So I just kind of went with that. And, and it was kind of funny because we were filming for one of those videos. I remember I was kind of hanging out on a trip with uh, Chad Fernandez, and I was analyzing my part and what I wanted to do and, he was just kind of like, man, you're overthinking it. Like, everyone has their niche. Everyone kind of has their thing they're good at. You just got to do what you do best. You know what I mean? Yeah. And and it just kind of resonated with me, not in skateboarding, but in general. It's like, you know what? Whatever you're good at, whatever niche you have, whatever, like, edge you have, you know, whether it be your personality, whatever, like, do use what you got and do what you do best. You know what I mean? Yeah, because if you focus – if you are honest with who you are and honest with your abilities, you'll know your strengths. And mm-hmm. know your weaknesses, but you'll know your strengths, and then you can just be authentically you, because you can just do your strengths and go with what works for you, and then you'll be original, which will stand out, and yeah, it's the worst when people get caught up in the game of trying to, like, you know, they're following someone else, or live in someone else's shadow, it, it's definitely a best approach is to, you know, know yourself, and just be you, and work with your strengths, for sure. And so, you know, showing up at contests, showing up in skate sessions, just trying to kind of take it to that level that I was comfortable with, I think was what helped me get noticed and get sponsored, you know, and then eventually go pro. Yeah, in the time when you when you came into the skateboard game, you we you came into the skateboard game and you got sponsored, and it seems like your generation of skaters, to me, I thought the industry was, like, really big at that point. But we were talking earlier, and you said it kind of, like, it wasn't that big at first when you first started getting hooked up? Uh, well, when I was first started skating, it was the late 80s, and skateboarding was huge, booming. Uh, you know, the Powell Peralta videos were coming out, banned this and all that. But then, you know, when, when the industry got small, I wouldn't say skateboarding got small. The industry got small in the sense that people just weren't buying a lot of boards or they weren't able to make money with selling a lot of boards or whatever the case may be. A lot of the big companies got trumped by the smaller companies coming in and not having all that high overhead, all those big payrolls and, and the burden of producing like tons of boards and having huge factories pumping out product like Palo Peralta and, and, and companies like that. So I think that's where the small niche companies came in and kind of were able to make it because they just didn't have that burden of trying to sell, you know, 10,000 boards in a month. And so I think, you know, a lot of people who were in it at that time were in it because they loved skateboarding and they weren't in it to make a lot of money because there just wasn't money to be made. And then I would say probably in the mid-90s to late-90s when uh, skaters start not only taking their own companies like selling boards but uh, clothing companies and shoe brands and that kind of stuff, that's really kind of what sustained the skateboarding industry and help put money back into it and actually get people paid. And then all of a sudden, it seemed like it got big again. I mean, the skaters were always there. It's just that people actually started making some money. Yeah, because I was going to say, like, when, like, 
when the storm hit, that video, it seemed like dudes were making, like, good money. Skateboarding was at an all-time high. People were traveling like crazy. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it seems like... Is that is that coincide with, like, Chad Muska, Jamie Thompson? Oh, yeah. It's like, the same time, right? Yeah, it, so it was basically, like, 1996 was when things started turning the other way. So when I turned pro, it was, like, 1993. So from 93 to 96, it was still kind of in that lull and kind of on the up and up. And then by 96, 97, 98, you know, the industry was really pumping again. And then, you know, Storm dropped in 99. Yeah. And dudes are making checks for sure. I mean, across the board, everyone who had a shoe or was even sponsored by a shoe company was making checks, you know? It seems – the reason why I'm asking all this is because I feel like skateboarding is kind of going through a similar thing right now where skateboarding's at an all-time high. There's the most people skateboarding ever. But uh-huh. for whatever reason, the top, there's only like a small portion of people making money. It's like the people that are in the contest that are uh-huh. like, you know, they're being told, you know, to skate inside a box and, you know, they have outside um, – money coming in and paying them to put on a show like almost like a pony show or whatever it is you know they're making a grip of money like the top whatever the people that place but i feel like right now there's something going on with small brands again where everyone's starting to kind of like realize that they are the industry like skateboarders small shops skate shops and everyone's starting to like build up their scene scene again and i'm starting to feel that again i feel i'm starting to see all these little kids cropping up and uh to me i I, that's what i kind of compare it to um, what you're talking about when you're coming up, and and I think those booms in skateboarding, it might be because skateboarders are promoting skateboarding. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. when you have companies that that don't skate and they just bring money to it, that's cool and all, and they they build up these huge contests and stuff, and they put skateboarding in a box, and it's all about points and numbers and money and all that bullshit that like you can never, you know, it's, if it's a numbers game, someone's always gonna have more numbers than you. But I think when true skateboarders that love it and are artists and stuff, when they promote it, kids fall in love with the art of skateboarding and fall in love with the community of skateboarding, and and then it it spreads like wildfire, you know. And I feel like that's kind of going on right now. Do you get a sense of that? Yeah, I think I feel like it's it's more in the way when I first came in the game in the late '80s, where you had these big companies like the surf companies or. You know, companies that are kind of outside of skateboarding coming in and putting money in there and paying people. And then all of a sudden, like you said, you had that top 5, 10% of pros making good money. But then everyone else was just kind of like sort of like on the average average payroll. And uh, nowadays, instead of the surf companies and, you know, Jimmy's and, and all those kind of brands coming in and, you know, uh, gotcha, like that, just, just random companies. <laughs> now, now it's like Nike and, and you know, Monster Energy Drinks and all these other big corporate companies who are, they kind of learned, okay, we're going to come in with the money and the horsepower, but we're actually going to make it look cool now. So that's the difference. You know, it doesn't look cheesy. Yeah. And kid and kids can identify with it. They're like, yeah, this stuff they're producing looks good. Like these videos look good. The shoes look good. The products they're actually taking care of their team riders, and they're making them look good. So that's the difference is that they're actually kind of coming in and doing it the right way. Because Nike tried it before and it didn't work. You know, oh, they, they try to yeah. So they didn't really do it the right way. They're trying to come off too cheesy. And I think it's like we talked about before. If you're gonna do it. Do what you do best. And what Nike does best, they just adapted it, you know, not trying to be something they're not. You know what I mean? Like, they still got the Nike Dunks. They still got 
shoes that look like Nike. They're not trying to look like a skate shoe, you know what I mean? So yeah. I, th- I think that's the difference, and and it's kind of working, and I think that's where people are making some money. So you got, you know, Coca-Cola behind it with their with their energy drink sponsors and Red Bulls and all these other supplementary sponsors. That's where they're making money. They're not making money with the with the board sales, in my opinion. Yeah, no. which is which is which is different, you know. So it's funny. It's funny because um, my big beef in this generation, and it probably goes on in every single cycle of skating, but like is the big contest thing. Like that always worries me because. I don't want I don't want a generation of kid I don't want skateboarding to become a sport in the sense that like you know like you see tennis or basketball or it's controlled by a bunch of people and they tell you how to do it when to do it and you know that's the only the people that are winning are the get the glory of skateboarding which is like bullshit because skateboarding to me was always like for the misfit. For the person that like was angry or the person that was just having fun or not, it wasn't about being the best. It was about expression and and being creative and all this other stuff. And and uh, I don't want a generation of kids to grow up thinking it's about money and points because if that's the metric, then there's always gonna be someone with more money or more points, and and it's like that's a horrible thing to chase. So that that's what bothers me now. I'm like this skate. I always say skateboarding's for everybody. It's for the uh-huh. weight kid. It's for the gay kid. It's for the girl. It's for the jock. It's for everyone. But if that's going to be true, I think that you know, non-skateboarders are doing a great job of coming in skateboarding and spending money and f- doing cool shit and like employing skateboarders to do cool shit for them. But that means like be we the skaters like have to start our own small brands and start our own shoe brands and our sh- our own stuff and and I feel like that'll ultimately balance things out uh-huh. I mean, because yeah Nike will come in and they'll have all this money in this huge production but then like a small startup from a skateboarder that you know has invested their whole life it's going to be the the contrast to that so it'll shine just as bright just in a different way and if you're doing it right like I do skateboard lessons I do a contest, I do a podcast where I talk about skateboarding. It's like, uh-huh. if you're willing to invest, I feel like it's like even playing field. I feel like I'm competing with Nike. <laughs> well, I mean, with, with Nike, I don't know if they're exactly doing anything wrong in the sense that I don't really think that all their riders that are getting taken care of are contest guys. Yeah. So you look at their roster, I mean, everyone that's on their team isn't really a contest guy. And I could actually say the same thing for Converse or New Balance. Ooh, PJ PJ Ladd's not really a contest guy, you know what I mean? I mean he'll he'll do Battle of the Barracks and that really is kinda cool. But that's because he's doing what he does best in his arena. And same thing with that whole team. I don't really see like the new New Balance team, you know, killing it because they're all like top contest placers. I think that some of these brands are coming in and allowing them to be creative in the field they want it to be creative with, you know what I mean? Yeah, I, I don't mind if, like, outside money comes in as long as they support real skateboarders and allow them to, like, express themselves. My whole thing is the contest aspect. I just worry about that because when mm-hmm. that becomes, like, the normal and kids just are like, you got to win contests to be relevant, that scares me. That really scares me, and that kind of went on in skateboarding. That's kind of going on in skateboarding right now to a certain degree you know street league is broadcast to all these kids and they're just seeing this big arena full of people and these kids like practicing to like get points and money and it's like that system scares the fuck out of me because skateboarding's way more than all of that you know and Mm -hmm. and you know what's funny is street league that is from a skateboarder not even outside money right isn't it rob dyrdek i'm pretty sure and uh 
Yeah, I think Rob is just trying to create, I mean, I, I can't really fault him because in a sense he really did try to say, hey, you know what, if we're going to do a cool competition where we can actually have good prize money, yeah, I, th- I think his goal was to create something that looked authentic, looked street, had had street features. So you know, people like, you know, I mean, um, I mean, you know, some some more the tech guys that you would never see in a contest, right? I mean, they're kind of entering those contests because it's it's their arena, it's it's their kind of kind of playing field, you know? Yeah, yeah. I just... So so you know, I, I don't know. I I think we kind of just it'll just kind of see what happens, let it play out, and I think. Skateboarding, like you talked about, always has a way of kind of uh, morphing into something else. You know, it has its phases, it has its dips, it, it kind of stabilizes, it gets a little roughed up. I think it's just going through that phase where there is a lot of interest, a lot of kids are skateboarding, a lot of money is being thrown into it. And I think the the authentic, legit, you know, parts of that are going to stick around and the ones that aren't are just going to kind of fade away eventually. Exactly. And I'm glad we have this conversation because these are the conversations that need to come out. And then once again, if skateboarding's for everyone, it's for everyone, not just core skateboarders. It's for everyone. You know what I mean? It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's for everyone. If you want to come in and do whatever you can. I still worry about the contest thing, but <laughs> but that's all right. I just I just worry about a generation of kids. We, I feel like we already saw that. We've seen a generation of kids that were competing, you know, and it's like when you compete, there's always going to be a loser, you know, and it should be more about cooperation and creativity and to me like making a video part or like forming a team and everyone like not not a team like a sport but forming a crew where you guys like build a create a video part together and a a whole video together and having the filmer and the dynamics and everyone has their own character and personality and i i was worried i I always worry that when outside money gets involved they're gonna make you wear uniforms (laughs) which is so hey you know i mean when i was coming up in the in the Late 80s contests were there. You know, you had those NSA Pro contests. Yeah. And then in the early 90s, mid 90s, you know, all the way to 1996, X Games pops up. I mean, contests have kind of always been there. I just think the skateboarding industry has not let it dictate what skateboarding is 100%, you know. Bingo. That's what, yeah. bingo. I think skate. I think skateboarders that have invested a lifetime, effort, blood, sweat should kind of sway which way the industry goes. Skateboarding should move with skateboarders, you know? Like, mm-hmm. sure. Um, and, and, you know, I mean, here, reality is I keep hearing about the Olympics, you know? People are talking about, you know, bringing things to that Olympic level because, uh, you know, the, the BMX is getting in there, snowboarding's in there. And if that happens, I still think that's only going to be a small piece of the pie. And skateboarding is still going to be skateboarding in a sense, you know what I mean? Yeah, I, I totally agree. I was I just had Chris Narako on my podcast the last episode, and we were talking about the Olympics as well. And I, I clearly, I was like, I don't know if it's good or bad for skateboarding. Like, I, same with right. street, street League, too. I give Rob Dyrdek a lot of shit and stuff. Um, but honestly, I, I don't really know. You know, time's going to tell what happens with all of this. My big concern is just kids getting into skating. You know, I just don't want it to turn into a sport. I've seen a lot of things start out, and then you see it just get completely taken over and then eventually you have to have tryouts and all this shit and it's like oh yeah skateboarding should be free and for anyone (laughs) um all right enough of that bullshit it's a good conversation but enough of that um all right we've already talked about it once today but i I don't think we got it recorded i want to talk about how you found your first board and how you got into like the skateboard world of magazines and videos and finding out about the culture of skateboarding (laughs) <laughs> Who's that? Family? Yep. Uh, hey, there you go. There you go. Go ahead. 
<laughs> yeah, all the girls are coming in here trying to figure out who's this guy on here. Yeah, what's going on here? Oh, you got a bunch of women in your house. All girls. Yeah, I grew up the same way. I had three sisters and my mom, so hello, little one. <laughs> Say wave. Say hi. Hi. I like your t-shirt. That's a nice penguin. <laughs> That's awesome. Good night. Love you. <laughs> Is that your youngest? Yep, she's eight. Awesome. So what do you got? You got eight? You got three kids? What's the ages? Uh, Eight, 15, and 19. Damn. Oh yeah, we were talking. Oh, okay. I want to talk about how you got your first board and found out about skateboarding. We'll go to we'll go to family after. Right. Yeah. First board. Um, kind of talked about that earlier, where I was hanging out with these two kids who were all about you know baseball, and um, I wasn't even really that great at baseball, but we were all hanging out playing, and they got skateboards for I think it was their birthday, and they were just like kamikaze boards, but at the time they looked cool, you know. Yeah. And so I was like, yeah, I need to. You know, it looks fun. I want to get my own setup and um, got this like a generic version of Kamikaze, which was even more terrible. It was like it was like such a generic drag and it, it almost looked like plywood that your dad could have cut out in the backyard. You know what I mean? It was just super flat, barely a kicktail. The skid plate was a huge dome. So even if you try to pop your tail, you'd be hitting this huge plastic piece. Oh, man. And uh, the rails were hollow. I mean, it was just awful. Uh, but you know what? I I got some basics on it, and um, I tr- I was trying to build this ramp with them one day. Why I don't know, because I couldn't even ride it. And I just thought it'd be cool to build a ramp. And so, two foot high launch ramp, trying to skate it like a quarter pipe. Couldn't figure it out. And one of my friends who lived on my street came by, and he was a really good surfer, a good skater. And I was just trying to figure out, hey man, what, what's up, man? I didn't know you you even skateboarded. And I was like, yeah, I just you know trying to learn and. He's like, what's up with this ramp? I was like, I oh, just trying to make a ramp so I could kind of learn how to turn around on it. And he's like, man, forget that. And he just kind of went at it full speed, launched over the top of it. And I thought I'd seen, like, magic, you know what I mean? <laughs> and um, he's like, yeah, go ahead and try it. And I was like, all right. So I went super slow and went up about halfway. The ramp collapsed, fell on me. He picked me up, dusted me off. He's like, man, forget this, man. Forget that ramp. Forget these nerds. Let's go. Just hang with me. I'll, I'll show you how to how to do this, you know what I mean? That's and I just, I never even saw those kids again, seriously, like, ever. And just like, just, we're hanging with him. Yeah, just cut, just cut everyone off, strictly headfirst into the skateboarding world. And, uh, you know, living at the beach, that whole beach lifestyle, the culture, um, you know, it was just like a lifestyle, you know. So, like, I just kind of, like, bought into a lifestyle. It was just fun. It was interesting, creative as an outlet. You got to do everything the way you wanted to do it on your time. And, and like we talked about before, for me, is a transition from, you know, more of like a team sport situation where you're taking that competitive edge and being more competitive with yourself and trying to figure out what can I do on this? You know, what trick can I learn today? Oh, I learned three new tricks today? Okay. You know what I mean? Yeah, I like that dynamic. That was the same reason why I like skateboarding too because you it, it all lies on your own merit, you know? Like mm-hmm. With a team, you could try as hard as you want, but if someone, if you got a weak uh, link in the chain, it's like, then it's not your fault, but it's someone else's fault. And, like, it's just kind of, like, at least with skating, it's like, all right, you want to learn that? You can put the hours in, and if you're persistent enough, you're going to make it work, you know? Oh, yeah. I guess it's a little less about cooperation, but it's funny because in the grand scheme of things, as you get older and you skate more, it's about cooperation with your friends and community and all that stuff. But at first, it's totally, like, I wanted to learn that ollie. Like, I know I've practiced ollieing for hours, man. It's so exciting. It's so rad. Then where do you so was that kid 
did he show you around? Did he teach you about videos and magazines and all that stuff? Um, he did have some thrashers at his house, and I remember Nottis was in one of them. Uh, he might actually have been on the cover. I think he was doing like a layback rollout on top of a car. Sick. And, uh, <laughs> and, and the next issue I saw after that that I got myself was that Mark Gonzalez cover with him skating a Barcadero, doing, doing the Gons Gap and doing ledge tricks. And so, you know, seeing the Nottis, seeing Gons and, and all that, I mean, that was my introduction to skateboarding. That to me was skateboarding. You know what I mean? Like, those, those were like the big dudes that, like, when you, yeah. those were like, like for me, it'd be like, you know, you, Jamie Thomas, like all the dudes that were relevant in the industry at that time, those were your guys? Oh, yeah, for sure. Like Gons and uh, Nottis and Tommy Guerrero. I mean, he was super sick too, just like, his kind of steez and, and uh, the whole kind of NorCal vibe was was different and cool, and um, he just had a super sick style. So, like, you know, growing up that whole generation, seeing those guys in person, like seeing his soul in your backyard, like launching off the launch ramps and and uh, all these dudes, it was just, like, eye-opener. So that's what we were exposed to on a, on a regular. So I kind of feel like the expectations are kind of high. You yeah. know I mean, if you, weren't, if you weren't able to, like, be at that level, you know, these guys coming in your backyard and just blasting airs and, and ollieing up four or five stairs and not even, you know, not not even cool enough to ollie down it, but, like, actually jumping up them. You know what I mean? Like, there's a lot of stuff that was going down that was just in front of our face, and it kind of motivated us to to just be at that level. Like, we just assumed. You know I mean? A fun, funny story, I was just telling um, some of the skate mafia dudes, I um, had the skate park opening. I brought some of the, you know, the, the new up-and-coming pros, like Jimmy K.O. and Jamie Palmore, and we were talking about, you know, us coming up, you know, me and Smolik and, and little B. And I was like, yeah, when Brandon was little, the expectations were so high that why are we putting you on the team that wasn't going to be, you know, kind of like on that path to being at a pro level. So he would just be watching these Tom Penny videos and he was convinced he had to be Tom Penny. <laughs> like he, he, I mean, the style, the commitment to landings, I mean, landing everything like first try. So he just was convinced everything he had to do was basically at that level, first try. No. And so when he, and so he skated with him, everything he did was almost first try. When you see a video part of him, I mean, literally it was within the first three tries. Otherwise, he was over it. You just blew my fucking mind. I didn't know any of that. <laughs> yeah, he was he was just convinced because that's all he saw. Just like all I saw was, you know, Tommy G and Mark Gonzalez and Nottis and all that whole generation and the backyard vert ramps and half pipes and... That that was it. You, like you, you make your own scene. You make your own tricks, and and communication levels through magazines. There was no internet, no videos really. Yeah. And so and so for like Brandon, you know, being exposed to even that higher level, the videos like memorizing and watching the style, the commitment, the landings, and that was just what he was convinced he had to do. You know, yeah. that's why the kid was so crazy. Yeah, it makes sense. It makes sense because it's like if you all you ever saw was like the greatest art, like, on the wall all the time. You're surrounded by, like, Basquiat and all these crazy art. That'd be your normal. So you'd be yeah. building off of that. So if you're just watching all these videos all the time. <laughs> I was. It's funny. I was listening to um, Tim O'Connor has a podcast as well, and he just had Buznitz on. And Buznitz was talking about how he doesn't really watch skate videos. <laughs> Not that much because he's like, I would go places and, you know, everyone would just start telling me what everyone did at the spot. And then, like, I couldn't, like, do anything. So he's like, I just stopped watching it because I just wanted to skate. Yeah, <laughs> that's uh, I think that's a California thing. Like when I moved to California, there was like at spots, people wrote a list of what people did at the spot. I was like. That's such a dickhead thing to do. <laughs> oh, totally. Yeah, it was it was a big thing. It was almost like 
if we're going to come up to the neighborhood and skate this spot, you better do something that hasn't been done before. That was just, like, the attitude, you know? Yeah. And, and uh, instead of just, like you said, just being, like, keeping it to the roots of it and just having fun and skating and doing what you want to do. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely had some people coming out to Cali from, like, Florida and other places, and they were just, like, hating on that. Like, oh, let me guess. That trick I just did for the video part, let me guess. Already been done. You know what I mean? Like, it just ruined it for him. Yeah, and it sucks because, like, you know, that's the standard. And you're like, gee, mm-hmm. man, this stuff's so awesome. And I could film a whole video part, but you guys are just going to be focused on the fact that someone else did it. And it's like, come on. Like, not, and I hear people say, not in this body. Not in this body, you know? <laughs> yeah. But that's in the Mecca. When you're in the Mecca and that's all the magazines and videos, that was the Mecca of skateboarding now with the internet and stuff i feel like everything's more fractal and you can have scenes everywhere and everyone can get coverage and do stuff now it's liberated skateboarding a little bit you know i agree i mean as as much as people think it's it's kind of uh brought skateboarding into a different place for for better or for worse i think that it is allowing people to sort of share with each other and kind of build on the community of skateboarding which i think is like you said when you get to that level, that is an important part of it. Like, how do you get along with the rest of the community of skateboarding? How do you get along with your team? Can you jump in a van and function with 12 dudes for a week or two or, or a month? Like, you kind of have to be able to sort of, like, have that ability to to hang out with other people and sort of share and, and, and experience things together. But also, like you are talking about, like, just being able to have fun and do whatever tricks you want to because even if you did something someone else already did, there are people are cool with putting it on the internet on a on an Instagram clip because it's just like hey I just did it for fun because I like skateboarding it's not like I'm trying to do a video part here you know what I mean? yeah that and actually it's funny you said that because Instagram kind of liberated things too because now you see all these Insta clips and there's a lot more expressions of skateboarding there's goofiness and funniness and it's less serious it's not all these huge dramatic videos and like you can like all expressions can kind of share what they're doing with skateboarding, which is rad. Which goes back to us talking about sports and fucking and uh, people trying to box it up and and sell it for points and money and all that stuff. It's like when all that when you put something in a box and you put numbers on it, it ruins it. I see it. It just ruins it. Skateboarding. Well, and I don't think that kind of being that elitist athlete or that elitist company is the same as it used to be. No. I mean, if you think if you think about Plan B when it came out with Questionable, it was so influential because these guys were doing things that no one really were doing, and they kind of built this really monster team that just came out hitting really hard. And I think that that did translate into them selling a lot of that product because kids were really buying into that. Oh, we just want to like beat down these people who are just like amazing skateboarders. But now, you know, for how many years ago was that? I think that little kids now the level is so high with like people like Nija. Yeah. Like a lot of a lot of kids just can't be Nija, and and it almost kind of ruins it for them, right? So a lot of dudes, it, it's not even just kids, a lot of adults. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I mean, so I mean, sometimes I think they see that or they see you know Tori Pudwell's part, and, it, and it's so gnarly, and then you see like a polar video, or like you know like more of a homie clip where these companies are just really about creating a cool environment, having fun. Like all of a sudden, kids are like yeah, I like that, and so all of a sudden they're buying more polar boards. Then, then the other brand who's coming off as the top level brand, and I think it's also because people just want to go back to the roots of, hey, I just want to have fun and identify people who are having fun. I'm just not going to be Tory Pudwell. I can't even relate to him. I'm just going to go support this brand that I can relate to. You know what I mean? And I think I think I'm seeing that a little bit more too. 
Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's because, you know, it, with the internet and everything, it's allowed different expressions, and that's beautiful. Right. And, then, and, I think it, and I think it's good to kind of break it up like that, because you do want people to push the level and be the best they can be. It's exciting. But, it's exciting. But, but at the same time, you also want to have people having fun, too, you know? Yeah, well, it's funny you say that, because when, you, when, when I was watching you skating, man, you were pushing the level of skateboarding, man. Like, some of the stuff you've done on your skateboard... It, 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 not some of it, a lot of it still holds up to, to today's standards. Like, um, but that's what was so exciting. I was like, this dude is massive and he's doing massive things. And it was just like very intriguing, very intriguing. And, uh, well, and, the, and, and the interesting part about that too is that, um, you know, when we were filming those video parts, we could have easily just filmed a lot. I mean, we actually did. We filmed a lot of other tricks that were probably more fun and, and, and cool and flowing and more lines and uh, but a lot of that stuff didn't make the videos because it was deemed on the cutting floor that you're only going to put in the gnarliest tricks that no one's ever seen before so you know had we gone back and looked at all those raw tapes i mean the amount of footage on there is probably a lot of stuff people would actually want to see you but back then you know what i mean you probably have so. gold. You have so much gold and extra footage, I'm sure. You just need to start a the Storm Instagram and just put out the <laughs> stuff. It'd be so sick. I mean, I mean, honestly, it was even before that era. Like, just even before that whole era of the Storm, there was just the creativity, the level of people were trying to push themselves at and push around. I mean, you know, the schoolyard sessions were just like, you had like, you know, Small, like an Aaron Snyder and Amherst and Mayhew and just watching these guys just go trick for trick for trick, like, I mean, there's still stuff that I saw in front of my eyes I've never seen because it wasn't deemed a perfect landing. You know what I mean? Oh, that landing was too sketchy. I mean, literally, it was, like, deleted on the spot. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. there's just stuff that went down that no one can even comprehend, you know? <laughs> we, I think I think the funny thing about skateboarding right now is we got everything we always wanted. Every, like, at least in my case, I always wanted skateboarding to get so big that so many people could enjoy it like I do. And it's like to that point now where it's grown to the point where anyone from any walk of life can get involved and and find a niche and have fun with skating. And and I I think we're in the best time, like one of the best times ever for skateboarding. Period. Like it makes me happy, man. It's crazy. No, I I think it is good, and that's where um, you know, kind of me just growing up with all that, seeing all that going down, traveling the world many times over, and and. Having been, you know, lucky enough to have that ability, like you said, when skateboarding had the money to just tour us everywhere and to live, you know, a good lifestyle. And then later on trying to figure out, okay, I've been doing this for like, what, 12, 13 years, had the cover, you know, a few times, you know, had your own pro shoe, your own pro model. Like, what, what's going to be next? What am I, what is my next, like, thing I'm going to push myself to do that I haven't really done before? And I think that's where everybody kind of comes to that point where, like, Maybe I want to just change things up. And, you know, for me, it was also crazy because, you know, having my daughters, we talked about that before where when they were really little, it wasn't as impactful for them because I was 23 years old. I was going at it, grinding, you know, on the road a lot. But as I started getting older and understanding, well, dad's not really around right now, you know, that might be a little bit tougher for them. I think I also got to a point where, you know, as I got closer to 30 and hit 30, 31, 32, uh, my daughters are getting older and they kind of needed me around a little bit, you know, like getting into that teenage years and having a tougher time and dad not around, you know, you start wondering like, what, who's, who comes first here? Yeah. You know, is, it, be a huge... is it, is it, do I need to go on the road for another month to Europe again for the fifth time or I need to be around here to 
help my daughter through something she's going through, you know what I mean? So I think you just kind of get to that point, too, where you're like, you know what, maybe I need to switch it up. And, and unfortunately, at the time, you know, sponsors didn't want to hear, what, what do you mean you're not going on that trip? What do you mean you're not doing this? What do you mean you're not doing that? It's like in skateboarding, you can't just take a hiatus and then think you're going to come back, you know what I mean? Like, they just they just expect you to kind of continue on that grind. There's a lot of expectations, you know. A, a lot is given to us, but a lot is expected as a trade-off. So at that point, I was like, you know what, I think maybe it's time for me to take a breather, and if, if that means I need to walk away, I walk away, you know what I mean? So that's when I started transitioning into uh, more design and trying to figure out what that next thing was for me. I just kind of got into it, and all I was doing was sort of like interning. I was like interning at the city uh, you know, where I lived and just figuring out, you know, like the engineering world and architecture world and trying to figure out what was what was going to be good. And then through that process, um, I was still, you know, skateboarding. And then it got to that point where a uh, engineering firm offered me a pretty crazy job. And I was like, do I jump into this and take this offer where they're going to pay me, pay for my schooling, education, train me, whatever it is I want? and uh, do all that, or am I going to still try to make this happen and and go, you know, couch surfing on the road again for the next year? Because, um, you know, you know what you have to do to make it in skateboarding. You really got to kind of live that life and travel and, and make it happen. So 100%. I was like, I, yeah, so I'm just going to jump into it, and I tried it, and it kind of worked out. And, and then after being with that engineering company for about a year and a half, uh, Mike McIntyre, who uh, was already doing a lot of skate parks with Side Design Group, hit me up and said, look, with your skateboarding background and your knowledge and with all the stuff you've learned in design and engineering and CAD and grading and drainage and all that stuff you get now, like, that's perfect. Let's let's take that and start building, you know, skate parks and, and make some make some cool stuff together. Okay. And, uh, he, you know, so, and he was already a licensed landscape architect in, like, 30 states and doing stuff all over the world. So I was kind of like, wow, okay, wait a minute. So I just kind of, like, the pro skateboarding thing kind of just happened because it was something I kind of liked to do and I was passionate about it and it worked out. And now I have an opportunity to do something very similar where I'm like creating these environments to get back to the kids at skate parks we never had. And I'm not talking about the crappy skate parks that you never wanted to go to, but actually make something they actually wanted to ride. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, on the East Coast, we have tons of crappy skate parks that you don't want to go to. Well, you want to go, yeah. to, but you don't. You're like, fuck. Yeah. Yeah. So I was like, you know, why can't we? why can't we create a spot with, like, actually good stuff to ride or, like, recreating something that was fun like like EMB or, like, Love Park or whatever, you know? Why can't we have that legally, you know what I mean? So I think that was the motivation was, like, okay, let's do this and let's do it right and let's let's create some stuff, you know what I mean? What made you think that you could just – I mean, I think I think you mentioned before that you finished high school, but you you didn't go to college? I didn't go to college right away, and uh, I actually got accepted to UCSD and didn't go. And um, and that was the whole kind of premise. Is like, you know what? I'm gonna do the skateboarding thing, live this life for as long as you know it all works out. And then when that was winding down, I started going back to college, took classes part time. So obviously, it took a lot longer. Um, but yeah, I ended up having you know getting my associate's degree. Um, you know, with that kind of CAD design and engineering background and was able to use that to plug into what we're doing now. When you, and, uh, yeah. When you, I'm sorry to cut you off, but when you were, um, when you decided to go back to school, was that, did you knew what you wanted to go for? At, at that time, yeah. I knew I was going into that whole, you know, I was like get, basically able to have that company pay me to go to school basically, you know what I mean? For like oh, training, for what okay, we were doing. That's awesome. Yeah. 
Yeah, I got because I always worry about schooling too. Because forty grand in debt when you're going to school and you don't know why the fuck you're there seems so stupid to me. <laughs> oh, I totally agree, and that's and that's why I didn't do it when I was younger. I was like, well, you know, we didn't have money, and that means I'd have to get some financial aid, some loans, and everything else. I was like, you know what? I clearly am not ready or have the desire to do that, so I knew I had to put that down because I wasn't going to go there just for no reason. You know what I mean? And let me let me rephrase that. I, stupid's the wrong word because it's not stupid. It's the fact that this country told you that if you went to college and you could get a, the job you wanted if you worked hard and all that stuff, and then we hit a recess, recession, and then all those words don't mean crap. It's not mm-hmm. the people's fault. But but I'm just like, that was the same thing for me. I was like, I finished high school, and I just went off skateboarding. And college wasn't even a real option because of the money, you know? It was like, and I didn't even know why I would be going. That's the thing, too. When you're young, it's like they just send you to college before you even know what your interests are. Like, and I feel like you need to explore and just check out the world and see what you're made of personally outside of school to figure out what you're into. And then you can go back to school. That's. I mean, yeah, no, I think your comment of, of the stupid part of it is when people go there for no reason. You know what I mean? Like, it's not for the right reasons. And that is stupid because you're literally wasting your money or your parents' money or someone's money. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And it's valuable. Yeah, it doesn't, yeah, it doesn't make any sense. So I agree. If you know what you want to do and you're going to go after it and, and, and you can make it happen, then by all means do it, you know? Did you apply all the lessons you learned from skateboarding into your, your new adventure? Like, um, was it easier the second time around, I guess? Because when you get into skating, it's like you're just figuring shit out, and you figure out that you figure out the tricks and all this stuff, and it's all like you don't know how to do it. You just figure it out. Is it the same when you decide to take on a new career? Exactly the same. No different. And in fact, I know people have probably said this before, but in the lessons you learn from skateboarding, just sort of like the perseverance and just like when you're trying to learn a trick yeah, and, and you're relentless on learning it, it's, it's basically the same thing. If you want to learn how to do something and you have a, a hurdle, you're going to be relentless on figuring out what it is you want to do to accomplish that goal. And, and I think skateboarding completely ties into everything that happens to this day. And and if anything, uh, one of the things that Mike McIntyre told me when I first started up, he's like, look, you can become the greatest designer. You can be the best CAD production guy, you know, drafting up these skate park plans. You can do all that. But until you learn how to harness the authenticity of you being a skateboarder and understanding how to really, like, use that to relate to what we do and to almost use that to create a credibility with these cities to hire you to help them design the skate parks, until you figure out how to even do that, you, you know, you're basically selling yourself short. You know what I mean? And it all goes back to that previous quote about what Chad Fernetta was talking about, do what you do best. You know what I mean? So... If you're a skateboarder at heart and you're designing skate parks, why would you not use your skateboarding background of what you do to kind of tie into that, right? So that's what I kind of learned how to do. And the more I've done it, even within the last year, just really focusing on having fun with what we do. Like skateboarding is really at the root of what we do, even in design. So kind of having that carry through has really like still molded and identified who we are as a skateboarder, going back and, like, actually designing these projects for the city. So it totally, totally ties in. Hey, it's so fucking beautiful because skateboarding was your college. It's your college degree. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, I mean, it, it, it's – I can't tell you. I mean, you, you know, there's always these times where you're calling, you know, a guy to come over and paint your house, and all of a sudden the guy's walking in your house, and, uh, you know, you're not even home, and there's maybe some boards on the wall or a picture of you doing something somewhere. 
And the guy's, you know, talking to my wife, saying, like, oh, you sure seem like you're a Ken Russell fan. <laughs> and, uh, you know, she's just, like, kind of laughing. And he's like, what? And she's like, well, that's my husband. And he's like, what? And I was like, oh, well, you can pretty much just consider this all discounted. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, uh, it's just one of those things where, like, we talked about that. It's like a community, a network, like a family. Like, skateboarding transcends everything you do. And so you just... It never ceases to amaze me how it ties into something so bizarre. I mean, you could be at an airport going through, you know, secondary security, and all of a sudden, just because you're talking about being a skateboarder and knowing so-and-so, the guy's like, oh, phew, we're done here. Just pack up. You're on your way. It's all good. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely, man. Absolutely. It's crazy. It's the same for me as well with, like, um, my skateboard career. It's kind of like my college in, in business because I learned through working with all these brands and managing myself and just trying to keep the hustle going for so long, I kind of learned how to run a business and how to, you know, business ethics and stuff like that. So, you know, I guess that's like the college. If, if I guess if you're going to keep what you need in your life and hang on to it and build off of it, like you took it into skate parks and I'm taking it into business and stuff like that, or we both are, it's just like go with your strengths. Like Chad said, Chad Fernandez said that. He see. Yep. He, every yeah, time, yeah, Chad every, Fernandez is like, do what you do best, yeah. Yeah, and no, I don't mean to insult Chad at all. I'm sorry if I do right now, but uh, he, I've always, I don't really know him at all. But anytime I've ever seen him, it's been a little wild. He's a little drunk at Tampa, fighting people. <laughs> but oh yeah, Chad, Chad has had his moments, no doubt. And that's what's so funny to me is like, I'm sitting here quoting Chad Fernandez, and he's <laughs> not, he's not maybe known for like, you know, being like a, a teacher of life, you know, necessarily because. No one's perfect, right? So, yep. but that's what's so funny is like in his moment of clarity, you know, just kind of like really talking about life and, you know, Chad, like anybody, you know, like a lot of people will look at some of the people I grew up with, like even Smolik and, uh, think like this dude's just out of his, out of his mind, yep. you know, because he's just, you know, so beyond comprehension. He's got his own language, his own way of doing stuff. He turns, and, like, and, it's like a character, a full-on character. Yeah, yeah, but, but, if you, but if you actually have a real conversation with the dude, he's super, super smart. Everything he's ever done has been calculated. He knows what he's doing. He, he knew what he wanted. And same thing with Chad. Like, as crazy and as wild people see on the outside, there's always that slice of everybody that we know that kind of has that clarity or that kind of deep, you know, philosophy of why they do what they do and sometimes they'll say just that one thing to you and like man that hits home for me you know what i mean yeah hell yeah you nailed that perfect <laughs> yeah so i mean it's just kind of cool to see that and like take a little bit from everybody um you know through everything and it's kind of funny because the company that we work for now you know what we did was we had this small niche you know skate park design firm and we could only get so big you know what i mean like it was always about cash flow okay we got 12 projects this year you know, these guys are paying us to do all this work. Okay, we got that money in the door. We're going to turn around, reinvest it, and go after the next batch. So it was kind of like that vicious cycle where the cash flow was never big enough to do all the projects we wanted. Kind of reminded me of when I was on Planet or Skateboards and Chris Miller did the deal with K2 to be able to launch, like, his own trucks and his own shoes, you know, with audio shoes and all that kind of stuff. So we just we never had the ability to get to that next level of what we wanted to really do which is focus on, you know, helping all these communities develop these projects without worrying about how much cash do we have in our, our bank account, right? So, yeah, because at some, point, this, at some yeah. point you're just funding and then it, you're, the cash is gone and then it's back in. you got to use it again. You're never going to have it. Yeah, just so it's that kind of vicious cycle. So what happened was is, you know, kind of being in that sort of uh, architectural design industry, 
uh, this this big engineering firm, Stantec, came to us and said, why don't you guys, you know, come into our group and not worry about the cash flow, not worry about the money, do what you guys do best. Again, the same quote. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, just really focus on developing these projects and don't worry about, you know, the money situation. We got that covered. So that's kind of what happened. You know, it was about three years ago. And it's just allowed us to do a lot more stuff on a, on a much bigger scale. And that's why I think I feel like I'm probably like 10 times busier than I have been ever because we have so many projects going on, which is good. And, and it's, it's really cool to see that there's that many um, skate parks going up like that. But, yeah, we kept super, super busy just because we can be. And I think that um, that that's why you see a lot of the things, like, happening the way they are. You know what I mean? Like, so it's, it's kind of allowed us to sort of branch out and, and, and grow to that next level of really focusing on helping, you know, big and small projects. You know what I mean? Yeah. What – what are some of the projects you've worked on that you've completed as far as skate parks? I don't know if you've done a lot, a lot, but name a few highlight ones that you're hyped on. I think since I started getting involved with all this stuff almost nine years ago now, um, wow. probably probably like 100 skate parks, actually. Holy shit. Wow. Yeah, so I've probably done about 100, and um, you know, some of the people before me, like Mike McIntyre and and, uh, you know, he was working with Colby Carter before I even came on board. And they both probably did, like, 200, 250, you know what I mean? So, I mean, I worked – one of my first projects was this uh, one in Santa Clarita, which is uh, kind of near Magic Mountain and, uh, in uh, you know, kind of L.A., Southern California area. And then, um, I mean, some of the other notable projects, just stuff out in the Midwest. We did this cool project in uh, Minnesota. It was called St. Cloud. It was, like, a cool little plaza area out there. Um. Yeah, I can't think of them all right now, but Santa, I mean, just Santa Clarita. How do you say that? Clarita. Yeah, Santa Clarita. I think Mike Franklin. Do you know Mike Franklin? Oh yeah, yeah, Mike. Yep, he was involved with that project. Okay. He was one of the. I mean, the cool thing about Mike is that um, he was one of the. I mean, to talk about the process, he was one of the dudes who lived there and was at all the meetings and basically told us what they wanted, you know, in the skate park. And so when that park opened up. I mean, that dude was shredding like nobody. You know what I mean? I mean, he knew every line because he had input on what, you know, because it was like, we're not going to put what we want in here. We're going to put what you want. Yeah. And Mike, I mean, I didn't care if it was the street area or or the tranny. I mean, he was killing everything. And yeah. that was a perfect example of this is what we wanted. This this works here. And and now we're going to just get rip it. You know what I mean? Yeah, dude. I, I actually been to that skate park and it's fucking phenomenal. And Mike Franklin did rip it the day we went. He was going 100 miles. The only complaint, the only complaint I'm going to have, the scooters. They took it over, dude. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. Well, you know, I, I think that that's the that's the new challenge of, you know, trying to create these like parks that have enough space to accommodate you know, even without the scooters, I mean, think about like 100 or 200 skaters there. Like, where is where is the room for everybody? You know what I mean? So, I think as we've evolved with design, we've created more space for them to all kind of be in and not be on top of each other. So, I think that's the next big thing is like knowing there might be a lot of people there, knowing the scooters are going to be there, the bikes may be showing up there. Whoever's barging in on the scene, we have to make room for everyone to like coexist without killing each other. You know what I mean? Yeah, you got to find a good blend, a nice alchemy yep. of it all. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. It's kind of cool what you're doing now too, because you're directly influencing how many people skate. Because when skate parks pop up, more people are interested. You know what I mean? And that helps everybody. If you want to own a big contest like Rob Deerdick, 
that means there's crops of kids popping up in the Midwest and all over the world, all over the country and whatnot. Or if you want to own a brand, if there's a skate park opening it up, that means there's a bunch of people that are going to get interested in skateboarding because it's so goddamn fun. So it's kind of cool that you're doing this and, and creating these skate parks. And, and uh, I want to talk a little bit about you came out to Boston and you're helping us. You helped us get the park going. Um, but to be honest, dude, maybe you could explain it, how that came about. To you, how did you get the opportunity to work on the Boston Skate Park? Um, that one came about because right when we were doing that deal with coming on board with Stantec, um, Mike McIntyre was thinking about actually moving out to Boston because of one of their major offices for the company that dealt with a lot of projects similar to what we do, you know, in kind of the sports and recreation division of the company, they were actually being led from out there. And he's like, you know what, I think I, it was a thing for him, too. He's like, look, I'm gonna start, I want to do something out of the box. I want to be around people who might challenge me to be better at why, what I do, you know what I mean, and be in a different environment, just see what happens. Maybe we can do something crazy and develop a whole new thing out on the East Coast and bring everything that's happening everywhere else. You know, we knew that New England didn't have a skate park. I mean, a lot of places on the East Coast need that flavor out there. They're, like, dying for something that's not an above-ground metal ramp, you know what I mean? Yeah, we have and, so many, like, situate skate parks that are all, like, four feet tall, and they're all yep. prefab ramps, which means they're all the same ramps, just in different order, and they're all over New England. They're the same parks, just different orders, and then they're not even built for the East Coast because the weather makes the concrete sink, and then the lip's sticking up, and it's like they made tons and tons of these skate parks, and we don't... Now that you guys, now that that Boston one's coming in, that's I'm excited for people to have that first taste of like what a California skate park is like, you know? Well, yeah, and and, and you definitely you hit it perfectly where you do have to know. I mean, the biggest challenge of doing those kind of projects is is not so much about what's in it as far as like the skate features, but like the planning, the siding, how it's going to be there, dealing with with the existing conditions, you know, contaminated soils. Uh, how are you going to get this permitted through the Department of Transportation? I mean, you know, trying to get something built in Boston is not easy. You know what I mean? I mean, there's a lot of politics, a lot of red tape, a lot of money needs to be spent to get all that that done. And and to be honest with you, that's what happened. We were literally in California, you know, in San Diego, and Mike was going to be moving out there. And we were sitting around going, like, okay, you're going to be in Boston. What is going on with that damn Boston park that's been on the plate for, like, what, 10, 12 years now? Like, what's going on out there? So we literally called, we looked it up online, saw the conservancy group who's in charge of it, called them up, and that lady Renata answered, and Mike's like, hey, I was just checking in, like, what's going on with the skate park? And she's like, well, who are you? And he explained himself and talked about, you know, what we did, and that he's going to be moving out there, and would love to just see what he can do to help move this damn thing along. Tired of hearing about it, you know what I mean? Dude, it was seeming hopeless, man, for sure. Yeah, yeah, and we thought the same thing. We're like, man, that thing probably died. And she's like, no, actually, uh, we, we really could use somebody's help. We, we just can't get to the next step. So we flew out there. So, like, basically almost the first day that we started with that company, Stantec, and we went out there and I kind of went out with Mike to get integrated into that new office. We had a meeting with that whole group the first day. We did a presentation, show what we do you know, what our specialties are, and not really always just worrying about the design and the build of it, but, like, actually getting it done. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. the hard part of, like, the meetings, the permitting, 
dealing with the DOT and the CRC and all the different abbreviations. There's like tons of them, you know what I mean? And, you know, and it's just crazy. So like for the next two years, that's all Mike did was go to those meetings and get everything approved one by one by one. It just could never be done because they just didn't have, you know, maybe the right people in there dealing with those kind of agencies. They didn't have the experience. So, you know, and nothing against all the other firms that came before us to try to get it done. It's just Mike is really good at dealing with with that level of, of agency, you know, and being a licensed landscape architect, talking to people, architect to architect or professional to professional, you got to wear the right hat at the right time. You know what I mean? Yeah. He's probably so, the right lingo for sure. So that, that's what happened. We just did that, got it passed through, got it permitted, got it approved. And, um, the other problem was they wanted like a $5 million insurance policy, you know, from the design firm, which is unheard of for any design firm. But luckily, you know, again, being a part of Stantec, they're able to, to provide that policy. And, and that was really the last sticking point where they just couldn't get it approved without that huge policy insurance. You know what I mean? Yeah, people, I'm, I was at the meetings. You invited me to come out. Yep. You guys are awesome. And I think Dave Bichinski and Andy Mack. Am I missing anyone else? Was there no else? But um, we showed up and it was like some of those meetings, people were angry. Like just in the group meetings, like skaters oh, yeah. were angry. And like, it was like... Um, insurance, that always seems to be the catching point of the skate park. We try to get one here in my town, Taunton, and it seems like th- those are always the problems, man. But that's rather you have that backing that can cover that. Yep, so that's what we did. We were able to go in there and kind of make, make that all happen, and um, and finally we're able to get ground broke, and now it's probably about, I don't know, maybe like 45% done. And there's a, is Vans has something to do with the skate park as well? Yeah, so what happened was is that, you know, for them to really get everything they wanted in there, I mean, originally, because of the site conditions and the money it takes to really get things built in Boston, I think the original design we saw when we came on board was probably maybe about 20,000 square feet. And with all the stuff that everyone wanted in those meetings you went to, you know, they wanted, you know, bowls and street and hospital bank replicas, and it was a huge project, so... Um, you know, the project grew to be about like 35,000 square feet. You know what I mean? It's a yeah. huge park. Yeah. And so they're like, okay, well, how are we going to pay for all this? You know what I mean? Like now you basically have increased the skate park. Who's going to, who's going to write the check to, to get the rest of this built? So we're like, well, you know what? It's a premier location. It's in Boston. You know, anyone should be psyched to put their name on this. So we basically brought some people at table and said, hey, what what would you pay for to have your name associated with this park? And we interviewed um, Converse and Vans. Um, I know there's a couple of other people who are interested in trying to come to the table and see what they could do, but Vans just had the best presentation. They were saying, hey, you know what? Uh, we want to just have one major event a year. We believe in skateboarding. That's that's our company. And uh, we want to actually, like, promote Vans on the East Coast. The uh, owner, um, Van Doren, I guess, Steve Van Doren, his dad actually started um, making shoes, actually, in, in New England. And a lot of people don't know that before he moved out to Cali. Wow. So so his family has a lot of history there, and it kind of meant a lot for them to sort of give back to New England and create something that he knew they needed. So he's like, you know what? We, we, we love the vision. We love the design. We want to be able to do just one annual event a year. We don't want our name anywhere on here. Maybe some, like, subtle branding, like some checkerboard patterns here and there. But, uh, you know, we'll do all that for $1.5 million. Wow. Yeah, so they, you know, they just believed in it and kind of made it happen. And 
you know, when that when that whole thing wraps up, hopefully by the end of October for the first week of November. Um, Steve Van Doren's already planning the the big grand opening. It's almost like a warp tour style, right? Like big tents and music and a full festival and demos and it'll definitely be a good thing for uh, for the New England scene for sure. Yeah, that's awesome, man. I'm really ha- I'm really happy it's going down and it's right under it's right near the garden and the duck boats are going by and when I think yep, every every five minutes. Yeah, when I yep. think of that, I think of all these little kids on the duck boats and they're getting introduced to skateboarding because they're going by the skate park and what little kid that like is going to see that massive skate park and they're going to go, I want to skateboard, you know what I mean? And I think that's so sick. You're like, it's like um, there's tours to get kids into skateboarding, basically. Which is well, awesome. and, and, and think about all the people who grew up who are now in their 30s and 40s and and kind of gave up on the skate park and maybe even gave up on having a good place to skate. Like all those dudes are going to come out of the woodwork and like it's going to kind of like reinvigorate them and like reinvigorate the scene. Yeah. And that scene is going to create a whole new gen. I mean, I would, like I was, like I was mentioned to you before, I was like driving from the Carlsbad skate park where I had this meeting at, and the little dudes there are just insanely good. I mean, they're so good, it's not even funny. And um, and I think that that's what you're gonna see out there. It's just gonna create a whole new generation of kids who love skateboarding for skateboarding because they they they're introduced to it. They have a place to go. They don't have to worry about getting kicked out. I mean, you know, there's always gonna be the streets. I mean, no one's gonna take away eggs. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. no one's going to take away all the classic spots of Boston because that's what Boston is. And we actually try to kind of emulate that feel inside with the materials and some of the stuff we put in there. We wanted to kind of keep that sort of like gritty architecture in there and kind of keep it the same way. You know what I mean? So, I mean, the goal is to hopefully just have it be just a kind of legal place to ride. You know what I mean? Yeah. And obviously, I mean, skateboarding, we feel like you're checking in. Yeah, if you, I mean, skate parks pop up everywhere. I love the power of skate parks. They're awesome. I moved to Taunton because of an indoor skate park because of the winters, you know, and you can create a community at the skate park. Everyone comes together, and you guys can have fun and do all this cool stuff, so it's it's amazing. Like, And people that want to go street skate will go street skate, and they'll go find that crusty-ass thing that looks cool and film it and shoot photos, and it'll all coexist together, which is, which is the goal, you know? Um, yeah, for sure. All right, we're, we're going to switch it up a little bit here. Uh, we talked a little bit about your kids. I want to kind of get back into the whole family structure thing. You have three children right now, and you said your oldest is 19? Yep. Damn. So is she going off to college? Yeah, she's taking college classes. She kind of came to me and said this. Same. When she was graduating, she's like, Dad, I'm not really ready for that four-year thing. I don't really know what I want to do. I'm not going to waste your money or, you know, my time. And until I really figure out what I want to do, I'm just going to take some uh, college classes at the at the community junior college here. And that way, once I figure out my niche and what I want to do, then maybe I can transfer into a college that makes sense. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's right. That seems like a good, good approach. Do you do you having kids and do you worry about the way the world's going? Are you optimistic? Are you pessimistic at all? You know, um, I mean, there's already. I mean, I don't know. You try to be prepared for things. You know, just as an adult, and you try to be prepared for things like as a parent. And, you know, we all know that curveballs get thrown at us that we just aren't prepared for. So I feel like every step of their life, just like my own life, has always been, you know, a challenge. So I'm kind of just kind of riding it through with them. Yeah. And, you know, kids are going to make mistakes because no matter what you tell them, they're going to figure out on their own. (laughs) And the only thing I can say is you just got to be there to pick them up when they fall down. I mean, just like us, the skateboarders, right? I mean, 
we fall down constantly. We pick ourselves up. We're not perfect. We fail all the time. Our kids are going to fail. So we just got to be there to pick them up when they fall down. You know what I mean? Yeah. What about, what about like, um, as a, as a country, do you feel like we're moving in a better direction? Like we're just coming out of a recession and I don't even, I guess we're coming out of a recession. I don't know, really know, but do you feel optimistic about the way the the country's going and everyone, I feel like there's like, um, kind of a renaissance going on right now. Yeah. I kind of feel like there's always, no matter how bad the economy is, I think that you see that even in the skateboarding industry or other kind of businesses kind of within that whole capitalist you know, structure where you can kind of make it as big as you want to based off of what you're willing to put into it, right? So yeah. I think one of the things we talked about earlier was, like, what skateboarding taught us. And to me, skateboarding has always kind of taught me that sort of, like, survival instinct, like be- being a hustler, right? Yeah. Like, you, you, you can go to college, but a lot of college kids I see coming out who want to, like, work with us, they just don't have that hustle. You know what I mean? They don't have that, like, killer instinct of, like, going after something 200% because you just basically, like, this is your life, this is your passion. It's not a job. It's, like, a lifestyle. You know what I mean? So okay. I think that's what I try to teach my kids is, like, learning, you know, passion, uh, determination, and kind of that hustle instinct because you, you just kind of have to learn it. You know what I mean? It doesn't matter what you learn in school, but you could have a college degree, and if you don't know how to apply it and hustle for what you want and what you need to get, then it's it's all irrelevant. So I think that's kind of what is the important part, whether the economy's bad or good or, you know, who's running for president. Like, what are you going to do? You know what I mean? Like, it's it's kind of like the whole survival instinct, and, and I think that's what makes a difference. Yeah, absolutely, man. And that's I, – I like when you travel. I think travel opens people's eyes a lot, too. Like, I've been to some crazy places, and it's like you see how life can be in other countries and other places, and you realize, like, we still live in the most powerful country, one of the greatest countries ever. Like, we still live in this this mecca, you know, and it's like we just have to, like, realize that and then apply our work ethic, not expect it to be done for us or a government to do it for us. Or, or like, the only people that are going to fix our problems and create the new world and economy and all that stuff is us. So if you have to hustle to make it happen, and if college degrees aren't working and ain't paying, then you got to find a way, and, like, that's the only way we do it. <laughs> so it's true. I mean, that's that's what I'm saying. Like, that's what's kind of cool about this conversation is, you know, you have this podcast and you're talking to a bunch of different people from all different walks of life, different areas of growing up, you know, East Coast, Midwest, West Coast, whatever, you know, out over over overseas even, you know what I mean? Yeah. And I think the, the common denominator is like what you've learned through having to make things on your own. You know what I mean? Like if you're going to be a pro skateboarder, that means that you've had to take sort of like that business ethic into your own hands. Yeah. And so I think I've just tried to apply all that to anything I've ever done. Yeah. And you've done a great job, I think. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you. Yeah. Trying. You know what I mean? <laughs> all right. We're going to switch it up. We're going to switch it up a little. Um, I want to get into the wild days of the storms, dude, just because I can only imagine some of those demos. Like, do you have any good demo stories of craziness that you could share? I know. Um, I mean, one of the crazy times, I think, was a lot of stuff went down that, that European tour, 1999. You know, people were all freaking about the Y2K thing. I felt like everyone felt like the world was going to end by the time 1999 was done. So I kind of feel like when we were on that road trip, we were just, like, skating like that. Like, dude, I really like skating. Like, this is the last trip we're ever going to be on. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so, like, the energy was there. And then the whole, like, motivation was, okay, look. Whatever we do, 
we're going to be filming, we're going to be skating demos, whatever it is. We're going all out, and, like, if we kill it, we'll have a good reward at the end of the day. We'll have, like, a nice meal, nice dinner, drinks, whatever. But I think the the skating was so crazy. Like, I don't know what it was, but everyone was just, like, on a frenzy. And so, like, even the kids at the at the demos were feeling it. So I, I felt like the crowds were, like, way crazier than normal. And, and it was just because everyone was just, like, not holding back. And then, you know, the after parties, the dinners were so extravagant. I mean, just, like, thousands and thousands of dollars being dropped on meals. You know what I mean? No, I... And it was just one of those things where it was just like, okay, well, if we're going to kill it, we're all having a good meal tonight. And so you got, like, 20 dudes with you. Steak and, and you know, Steak and yeah, lobsters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Steaks and lobsters and, like. You know, hundred dollar shots of Hennessy. I mean, what what's in a hundred dollar shot of Hennessy? By the way, gold or I mean, how can you even spend that? I mean, I think that's it's just unicorn piss. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, I mean, there was definitely it was a definitely high level of everything, and so you know, but it, it's uh, you know, even being in France, I know we did some demos there, and like I was telling you before, like some people who are locals just weren't feeling it because you got people kind of tr- trumping into their hometown and. And, uh, you know, skating to Marseille and then taking us to that, like, 18, 19 stair set, it was one of those things where, like, I was on top of that staircase, and they took us there purposely just to see if someone was dumb enough to jump down. It really is what it was, because <laughs> I mean, they were just hating on us, you know what I mean? They're like, hey, we got this big staircase for you. Why don't you jump this, idiot? You know what I mean? <laughs> and so Chad looked at it first, and he was like, yeah, dude, it's windy. I'm not feeling it. Do you want to do it? I was like, I don't know. Like, aren't we on tour? Like, you know, I want to kill myself right now. <laughs> and and then you know so i'm looking at it it's windy i'm trying to push to it there's you just can't do it it's just too windy so like i literally was back there for like five minutes and then chow was like okay the wind stopped go and like i went for it and jumped it and landed on it and stuck it but my board just stuck like a wheel bit or whatever and i fell off and just my skin on my hands were gone just bleeding profusely because it was just such a big drop you know what i mean and yeah and then but then all of a sudden the funny thing was that before i went like they didn't think i was gonna do it so they were literally getting booed i mean all the locals <laughs> there was like a hundred locals there booing us oh you americans you suck boo boo and uh i think wow. they're just hating. yeah i think they're just hating because we were just like not locals like we were intruding on their on their you know Damn territory right. you fucking americans come on that's right spots try to conquer exactly. mountains bro Yep. <laughs> and so then, you know, when I stuck it and landed it, then all of a sudden they were hyped. They're yeah. like, yeah, that was sick. You know what I mean? Like, okay, well, maybe these guys are. You know what I mean? Like, okay, this guy's like showing a proof and he's putting his money where his mouth is. So I tried one more time and then I actually landed it and rode away. And that was in the video. And you see like all those kids like chasing after us. And like I literally rode away and rode right into the van. Mm-hmm. And because it just created a, a riot. <laughs> and so the kids were just going nuts and like rocking the van and you know give us this give us that like all of a sudden the tide changed with just that ollie it was just crazy it just changed everything i still have dudes who like hit me up on facebook who were talking about i was there that day wow. like you changed you changed everything like sticking that rolling away we were hyped on you guys it kind of changed the vibe and and you know we we're so psyched you guys showed up and did all that and yeah, i mean so it's it's kind of cool once again how you know, just that whole thing with skateboarding can just, like, break that barrier and, like, change people's attitudes, you know what I mean, so... Yeah, it can show your heart and your perseverance. It can show, like, the core human emotions that, like, people try to hide, you know, with their ego and shit, so it brings out that rawness. It really can. You're skating. You can use it for that. I see people... Yeah, 
think of Cartel, and, and you think of just like all heart, you know, and people, oh yeah, style and expression. It, that's why. And I, so, <clears throat> yeah. So when you're traveling the world, and like people see that, and they're seeing like, hey, dude, this guy's just all about dedicating to like what he's into, and yeah, I think that really helps. Like when you're traveling, like really like connected to, to people of all different, you know genres and walks of life and it, it really does work but yeah there's there's definitely a lot of money that was spent on those trips to get us to all those places and just you know have nice accommodations and you know it's it's uh definitely once in a lifetime like we talked about never take anything for granted you know what i mean like like enjoy it while you can and and don't act like that's not you know it's gonna be like that forever because it's not you know what i mean yeah absolutely man um where'd you get your work ethic from is it from your father yeah, I think my parents, you know, we didn't really have a lot of money growing up, and um, I would see him working two, three jobs if he had to, you know what I mean, to put food on the table, so I think just kind of seeing him working hard and, you know, kind of putting his family first was kind of where I was at. That's why I was saying before when I had my first daughter when I was 23, I think for me it was like a motivating factor to think about what he did for me. I was like, well, I'm going to do the same thing for my daughter, you know what I mean? Like, I'm going to I'm gonna put my work ethic into skateboarding. And then when I was done with skateboarding, I'm going to put my work ethic into what I'm doing with designing parks. Like, whatever I'm going to do, I got to kind of do it 200% or just don't do it at all, you know? Yeah, I could tell. I could tell because you reminded me of myself when, even just with the little Skype thing, like, you just, you're just very persistent. You're just like me. You're just, like, plugging away, plugging away. Even yep. even when it gets awkward and you're, like, nervous. and you're I know, yeah. Just keep going because, like, there's got to be an answer, right? There's got to be a Yeah, totally. And and just having the patience to figure it out is always key, you know, like, not being in such a hurry to throw in the towel and just sort of, like, take things as they are and just, just roll with it. Just have a little patience. Just, like, see things through, see what happens, you know what I mean? All right, I got I got some more questions, and if I get too too personal, by all means, you can tell me to fuck off. That's all good. Um. Okay, what do you do now besides skating? What do you do now as an outlet? Because you have three kids, you got a full you got the full time job, the passion. Like, what do you do when you just want to cut loose and have fun? Oh man, I feel like that time is so limited. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's like it's I, like I, like I was like I was saying we're. You know, when we came aboard and we wanted to do all this stuff with what we're doing now, I mean, the goal was to do as much as we could. Like, last year, we're like, how how much can we do in one year? You know what I mean? Like, I feel like we took on so many projects that we almost, like, created a monster. Yeah. And so, like, this summer has been so busy. We have, like, seven parks under construction, and I spend, like, every week, every other week, it's been, like, you know, on a plane here, on a plane there, check, checking in on this, checking, you know. Like, literally going to, uh, you know, Saskatchewan in Canada, you know, flying up the Skate Mafia dudes with me to, like, skate a demo. And, like, we're, like, kind of, like, you know, opening this new park, you know, Friday through Sunday. So there goes that family time. Yeah. And then I land, and then Monday and Tuesday, and then I'm already on the plane Wednesday morning flying out to Boston. And then coming back Thursday night, and then it's, like, all over again the next week, you know what I mean? So, like, when I'm home... When I'm on the road, I think I have more time to just, like you said, kind of cut loose, hang out with the homies, like catch up with people who are in New England, catch up with people in Canada, meet new people. Yeah. You know, like you said, like cut loose, throw a few backs, swap stories. You know, you, you definitely kind of have that time when you're on the road. But when I'm at home, it's like it's almost like it'd be unfair if I was like carrying that through because sometimes I feel like I'm back on tour right now. You know what I mean? It's like, dude, I'm back on tour. Like, I'm on the road all the time. It's like, this is what I was doing before. Like, I don't want to overdo it. So when I'm back home, I really try to make an effort to say, you know what, I got to have that balance too. Where, like, 
I'm definitely around for them. You know what I mean? Like spread a little love back home too. So I, I think it's a it's a tough balance, but it's something that I've tried to learn over the years where, you know, there's a time definitely to cut loose with the homies when you're home, but then make sure you have that time with the girls too, you know? Yeah, absolutely. All right, and here's the question where you can tell me to fuck off if you want, but uh, I'm always curious. I smoke weed. I do. I have a, I have a certificate, so if anyone's listening that cares, they can <laughs> signed by the state of Massachusetts. I paid for it. It's legal. Do you have any vices, like, or what's the craziest drug you've ever done? I, or have you even done any? I, I think probably, you know, coming up, obviously living here at the beach, there was a lot of drugs. I mean, it, it was just a really loose lifestyle, especially growing up in Ocean Beach. I mean, drugs were everywhere. And I think I was always kind of too freaked out to take anything, like, that was, like, more of a hallucinogen. Yeah. So mostly just me and my homies, all we did when I was little, dude, coming up was just, like, drinking and smoking weed for sure. But at some point when I was getting into high school and, like, really skateboarding a lot, it was like, I think it affects everyone differently, but for me, it just didn't, it made me really, like, m- way too mellow and, like, almost lazy. I'm already kind of a laid-back dude. It made me too, it already made me too laid-back, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, I would just, I would find myself in a room, like, bouncing on my chair, and then, like, two or three times doing that. You know what I mean? I was like, dude, what have I been doing all this time? Like, I was just kind of, like, in my own world, just zoning out. And I I couldn't really help it because I was just like, just too chill. You know what I mean? Yeah, you were really and um, really just wait. <laughs> yeah, just yeah. So I was just like, dude, I just it just wasn't working. I just had to like lay off that and and uh, I think it's different for everybody. Yeah, but for me, it just it just wasn't wasn't really working. So I think that was really the only thing I ever really did. I never did anything too crazy. You know what I mean? Yeah, I'm the same way, dude. It's funny. Uh, weed and alcohol was like my only real things, but uh. I'm not above trying psychedelics. I, I've never done it, but I'm scared to. But if the right opportunity presented itself, or I was, like, by myself and I happen to have it or something, or someone took me on a fucking journey and was like, let's do this, let's get weird, I might do it, you know? Um, but same thing, I was always, like, really scared to try that stuff. Um, well, you know, it, it was always that thing of, like, being in control. Like, I didn't want to, like, I saw people who, like, experimenting with that stuff, and it seemed like they were, like, losing control of themselves. And yeah. I just didn't want to be that guy, you know what I mean? That was the other thing, too. Like, when I was in high school, um, actually junior high, I think, and maybe going into, like, a freshman in high school, but there are these girls that just assumed that I was just, like, some dude, some, like, dumb, like, skater, stoner dude. Yeah. And and I kind of had a couple of those comments from these girls that just kind of tripped me out. I was like, man, they're just, like, judging me based off of what I'm doing. You know what I mean? Like, am I am I that out of it? Like, it just kind of woke me up like I need to I need to get it together you know what I mean like <laughs> I, I don't know it just kind of was like I just didn't want to be that dude you know yeah absolutely man I respect it fully I smoke weed though <laughs> hey you know what I know a lot of people that do but yeah. I but I, I I stopped I smoked weed when I was younger and then when I was younger I didn't really know who I was and I had a lot of anxiety and worry and family issues and things like that so um I smoked weed and it would freak me out, you know, like it would just heighten everything that I was. And then I stopped smoking weed for a long time and then I came down with vertigo, which basically I couldn't skate for six months because my inner ear and like I couldn't, I couldn't even walk for the first two weeks. Like Franklin had to carry me to the bathroom. Like it was, yeah, it was so gnarly. I was supposed to go to South America. I missed my flight because I couldn't stand up. Every time I sat up, I'd throw up, um, and it lingered for six months and uh, still couldn't skate. And you know how it is when skating's your outlet and your passion and your, your way of, like, just feeling normal, feeling your heartbeat. And, and uh, 
I couldn't do it for six months, and it was just, like, scaring me because the doctors were like, we don't know what's wrong with you. We don't know if it's going to get better. And I'm just like, oh, my God. And then Franklin was like, smoke some weed, you pussy. And I was like, mm-hmm. I was like, dude, it gives me anxiety. It gives me anxiety. And he's like, just do it. And I did it, and it, it, my vertigo went away like that. I'm not saying it works for everyone like that, but for me, gone right away. And it was like, I was like, holy shit. And then now that I'm older, I'm in my 30s now, when I smoke weed – it heightens who I am, and now that I'm 30, I know who I am a little better. I, I've I've been tested. I know my I know my uh, limits, you know, and I know my characteristics, and I and I like who I am. So I feel like it just heightens that, you know. But moderation, moderation in all things. I'm glad we're talking about this because a lot of people won't have this conversation, and I think it's important for kids or anyone who's thinking about doing any drugs. Like we should all communicate about it. Well, I think that everyone has their own path and journey, and you have to come to a conclusion on your own, like we talked about. Like, I could sit here and tell my own kids, you know, my experiences and what worked for me, what didn't work for me, and try to, you know, create a good, positive, you know, uh, role model for them to to follow. But ultimately, every kid's going to have to figure it out on their own. I mean, they're going to have to go through that phase of figuring out what what is the truth and what is not the truth for them, like what works for them, you know what I mean? Yeah, and it's crazy with the drug thing nowadays as like the internet spreading all this information. We're having all these conversations and ignorance is shrinking up, I feel, a little bit. Um, It's crazy. The kids realize like that everything's a drug nowadays. Like coffee's a drug, sugar's a drug, heroin's a drug. The medicine they give you at the doctors is like synthetic heroin. And it's like mm-hmm. you start to realize that it's all drugs, and they're growing up in a time where like weed's becoming legal in all these states, and like it's like um, the next kids are, to them, drugs are going to be have a whole different association than they did for us, you know? Yep. Mm-hmm. And that's crazy to think about that because they're going to be in a different world. And how could you like tell them what it was for you when they're going growing up in a different world where there's different acceptance to drugs and all this stuff? So. It's going to be a strange world. <laughs> yeah, most definitely. And I think you just have to learn from watching around you, too. Like, if you see someone, like, popping a lot of prescription pills and they're just out of it, yeah. you know, if that's not who you want to be, you're probably not going to want to do that. Same with alcohol. Alcohol is legal. Yeah. But, you know, if you abuse it on a regular basis and become an alcoholic, you might not be able to function. You know what I mean? So it's different for everybody, you know? Yeah. It's crazy. There's some countries where drugs across the board are, like, decriminalized. It's funny. Mm-hmm. I talk about this all the time because I'm like... You know, alcohol and tobacco are legal in the United States, and they kill more people than any other drugs. You know what I mean? And it's like That's it's true. such a, a contradiction, and and it's like these people are self medicating. You know, even the people, the junkies in the street and stuff. No one wants to be a loser. No one wants to be that junkie. They're self medicating. You know, they 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 just they're just using whatever to run away or self medicate, and it's like then the the contradiction fucks it all up. They should just, across the board, decriminalize it and get people mental help, you know, mental people. I feel like we don't have a poverty problem. We have a mental disorder problem in America. No, you're definitely right about that. It worries me. (laughs) And I think it's because all the contradictions, you know. People grow up in a society and they're like, this is bad, this is good, this is bad, follow this, do that, you know, and then it all crashes down on a recession and it's like... (laughs) Which I like. I think we rise from this ash right now with the recession and we rebuild everything. I feel like that's what's going on. No, I agree. I mean, people people have to learn through a process somehow, some way, whether it's good or bad. Yeah, and I feel like with these conversations and the podcast and all the communication going on now, we can kind of like, we can we can connect with everyone and we can have these conversations and we can it, it can help us progress as, as a humanity, you know? I'm hoping. 
I'm hoping. For sure. I want more skateboarders to do podcasts too because I feel like we need a lot of flavors and expressions and like I think it could help a lot of people with their brands, you know? Like if you could if you live honestly and you want to just be a face of your brand and like let people hear the internal workings of everything you're doing, it's like that transparency, I mean, is awesome, I think. Well, it also goes back to what we were talking about. Not everyone is wired or, you know, maybe that's not their strength is to be that communicator, that that conduit between everybody and, and you know, the way you grew up with all the, you know, and I know you shared this story before on your podcast before, but, you know, your crazy lifestyle growing up, I think that you developed, you know, who you are, your personality, your work ethic, your hustle. Not everyone has the ability to, to you know, do what you're doing during the day, you know, maintain your brand, you know, run the contest, be be there for the kids, and then run a podcast all at the same time. I mean, that's a lot of stuff, and a lot of people don't have that tenacity, you know what I mean? So I agree. I, I, yeah, and, and everyone's built a little bit differently, so it's almost like what what are you willing to do? Like how how hard are you willing to work to make that happen, you know what I mean? Yeah, and I completely agree. They should stay out of my lane. But I want to see, <laughs> see a Louis Barletta podcast or like a different direction. Like that, we got a Tim O'Connor one, which is he's getting better and he's like just like me. In the beginning, I wasn't that good. You're nervous. You're like trying to find your voice and and you got to learn how to have a conversation for you know we're 83 minutes right now. Um, but yeah, I want to see like everyone because there's skateboarders. There's so many damn personalities, and I'm like, dude, it doesn't take much. Just get a goddamn Mac. Record the thing, put it online, share. <laughs> I, I do agree. I mean, I spend some time with Louie, and, um, you know, I check in with him every once in a while, and he would be super cool dude to have a podcast for sure. Yeah, imagine that. <laughs> I'm trying yeah. to Chris Naracco, too, because he has all the Big Brother interviews and, and, uh, and Larry Flint, all the porno interviews and stuff. He has all the it, – it's all on cassettes now, though. So he has to figure out a way to, like, get the technology onto it, the digitalize it, basically. But he's yep, yep. gold, you know? I'm like, you got to... Oh, totally. <laughs> I, I remember doing one of those. I remember doing one of those uh, taped taped interviews in the Flint building, for sure, for Big Brother. Oh, sick. Did he hook you up with any porno? <laughs> uh, I think I might have been with Daxter at the time, and I think while I was doing that interview, they showed him that room. I don't think he grabbed anything, but I'm sure he was thinking about it, but he didn't know what to do with it because we were kind of traveling, you know what I mean? So Yeah. But I do know that there, I think there are some people who had the ability to kind of raid whatever they wanted to in there, but it, it was kind of all separated, though, you know what I mean? Like, it wasn't like you'd walk down the hallway and see all that. You had to go, like, to a specific floor or, like, a level or something like that, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. it was a huge, huge building. Chris told me, Chris told me that he traded like boxes of porn for skateboard product in the beginning when he was starting up his skate shop i <laughs> talk about oh i'm sure talk about hustling <laughs> oh i'm sure for sure <laughs> oh okay um this question keeps popping up in my head and i don't know why but are, are you done having kids oh yeah most definitely my my wife's been talking about you know how she misses having a baby and and all that kind of thing but i was like no there's no way it I just turned 42 today, my birthday. Oh yeah, congrats! And, birthday. Yeah, birthday. and and there's no there's no way we have the energy to do that again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so you're surrounded by all women. Yeah, all women, and and with my luck, it'd be another girl. So there's no way. <laughs> too too many hormones. It, it, it's too much already. Yeah. You're in a situation like I was growing up. I had my three sisters and my mom, and it was just fucking chaos. Being the oh yeah, dude. 
they make you feel a lot. Like, when you grow up with women, you become real empathetic. You're like, everything's important and dramatic and, like, at mm-hmm. least in my experience. So I, I still have that. Like, I've never been, like, a normal guy because of that. I don't... Yeah, girls girls definitely are wired differently than, than guys, and that's why I think, you know, when we talk about my outlet, you know, my release or my way to kind of my vice is still skateboarding because I have to have that, you know what I mean? So, like... To, like, you know, kind of break up all that, you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely, man. I, all the hustles I do and stuff, like, I, I've built skateboarding into my life. Everything I've done is built it into my life so I could have it involved in some way. And the only, even from that, I need the escape. I'm like, yep, I just it's an escape. Yeah, that, that's our escape. Yeah, yeah, I'm like, I gotta just stop doing all this stuff. The contest stuff can wait. The podcast can wait. All this shit can wait. All the skateboarding stuff can wait because I gotta actually just go roll around on my board and, like, feel like i can breathe again you know what i mean 100 percent. have you um besides skateboarding have you ever had any other like normal jobs dishwashing jobs or anything like that um when i was first you know i mean coming out of high school i was just about ready to turn 18 i turned pro at 19 but you know those beginning years where you're not making a lot of money i remember actually working at a coffee shop like a couple of days a week yeah. and just coming home just like reeking of coffee you know 24 7 um got good at making coffee and drinking a lot of it <laughs> i was gonna ask you drink coffee now yeah drink coffee now yeah. but uh but you know it's uh it wasn't bad i mean it was an experience you know so yeah i've had a lot of like dishwashing jobs and stuff like that and even when the skit when uh the industry kind of crashed a little bit and world industries pulled out and like mm-hmm. i just started applying it anywhere anything i just needed a job i was like i don't feel good if i'm not working and like scary scary not having money too you know well i mean if you really think about it like me going to working for that engineering firm and kind of going into what i'm doing now i mean that really is like the real real job i mean you know people showing up at a certain time clocking out at a certain time especially you know doing more of that um when i was at the engineering firm more than what i do now but I mean, that was definitely more real job style, you know, like you actually like reported in and and you worked a certain amount of hours. And I mean, that definitely was a whole different flavor and, and way weird to adjust to coming out of skateboarding where you had your own schedule, had a lot of freedom. So it was definitely really weird, you know. Yeah, I'm I'm still getting used to it because I'm used to that lifestyle where I could just wake up whenever, do whatever, like you're just saying. But now I work a full-time job, too, and it's just like, yeah, I got to be there at 8.30 every day, and I got to stay, and I got to put up with people, and, like, I never had to do any of that before, you know? Yep. And you have to yep. you have to learn those skills, and those aren't, you know, those are hard to, hard to learn sometimes, you know? <laughs> and and as, and as much as I love doing what I do now, I mean, I have clients who are, you know, all over the country, so I may start getting emails and phone calls at, like, 6 in the morning. Yep. And, and then, you know, and then... You think you're going to kind of like wrap it up earlier in the day. It's like, nope, you got people texting you on the weekends. What about this? What about that? You know, the, the skate park doesn't look right. You know, I got, we got issues. So it's almost like you're so passionate about it, You care about it so much. You don't not want to take that phone call. But all of a sudden, you know, that job gets to be a lot more than just 40 hours a week. You know what I mean? And, yeah. and same with skateboarding. Yeah. I mean, you know, there was never really a time where, you know, there were, ne- there really never was a weekend. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the the weekend was time to get to work, you know. Yeah, yeah, all, dude, absolutely. It was like time to start filming, jump gig. Yep, um, exactly. What I've learned that helps me a lot is if you know, try to do stuff. If there's a job that can be done really quick in like five ten minutes, just try to do it right away. You know, if it's not something you need to sit on, 
don't procrastinate. Just get on it and handle it at that moment and then take your time to rest, you know? Um, For sure. That's helped me out a lot. It's something I had to learn. But there's some yep. things you have to take your time and, like, really, you know, there's sometimes you come across something and you got to sit back and look at it, give it a time, sleep on it, come back to it. But there's a lot of stuff that pops up that you can just bang out, you know? You're like, oh, you just need a contact info. Here you go. But if you sit on it, it just makes you feel stressed. You feel like things are piling up. It's like, I realize if you can just get to those things quick, get them out of the way, you can handle all the other stuff. If if I was, if I knew what I knew now when I was skateboarding professionally and being a little bit more task-oriented, being a little bit more on it, more organized, I probably would have been a lot better off, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, I understand that completely. <laughs> um, all right, I'm not going to hold you up too much longer, but I do I do want to touch on a couple things. Um, first cover of magazine, what, what was it? First cover was... Uh, Trans World um, skateboarding. I, I think it was in 1990, probably 93, 1993. It was a cover, and um, there was a 14 stair where I grew up at. It was called Silvergate, um, and it was it was weird because what happened was I was actually there with Dave Swift, and I was there to shoot a checkout. Sick. So there was like a five stair on the side of that, and I still have the sequence in the magazine but the shutter frames were so slow back then that so i did a double hard flip down the five and it looks like a single but then some of the people years later would cut, come up to me and say hey was that a double hard flip you did down that back then because it, it looked like there was another flip in there and i was like yeah it was and then the thing was when i landed it i kind of cracked my tail and rode away wow and then i was so hungry and motivated that i was like hey dave there's this 14 stair around the corner i think i could do something down that and he's like are you kidding me that's huge and, you know, I had a crack board. So I backed up and aided it and kind of landed a little sketchy because the board was broken. And uh, he didn't really like the way it came out. So he's like, look, I'll tell you what, come back here on a better day with, like, better sunlight in the morning and, and we'll reshoot this. And I was like, okay, cool. And um, they kind of alluded to the fact it might be a cover, but I just I didn't believe him, you know. And so I stuck it. And uh, sure enough, it was on the cover. Damn. So it was kind of crazy. Damn, yeah, I never. I, and, and I was just an amateur, you know what I mean? Damn, on Transworld, too. That's so sick. Swift's the man. <laughs> yeah, well, and, and actually what happened was is he actually sent out Steve Sherman to come back and shoot the cover, and Steve Sherman at the time was a dude who was, like, shooting all Frankie Hill stuff. Wow. I mean, I would see him going through UC Santa Barbara with Frankie Hill with these big old, like, reflector cards, and, you know, you see those photos of Frankie where everything's all lit up, all perfect, and looking like, you know, the sunlight was all bouncing off of him perfectly because he had these huge reflector cards. Yeah. And you know he's making everything all lit up and looking nice, so that's what he did for that cover shot. But uh, but even before that happened, like the kind of eye opener for me was the first photo I ever had in a magazine was uh, double page spread contents in a Thrasher, yeah. and it was a uh, it was me doing a um, frontside feeble grind on a handrail, like way before its time, and it was just a shorter rail. But and I don't think even people could really comprehend it because they, they kind of artsy to death and made it look all artsy. And then um, I can't remember if the, you know what I'm sorry that wasn't the first one. That was the second thing I got in Thrasher. The first one was a double page spread of me all over a fire hydrant. Mm. And so you know I think I was still maybe like a senior in high school and I was just like blown away. I was like man. So my first photo is '91. Is double page spread in Thrasher, and then three months later I opened up Thrasher, and they made a T-shirt out of it. 
Wow. What the... So, I had, yes, I had my own Thrasher shirt. Yeah. Wow, that's fucking sick. It you, was crazy. You yeah, it was nuts. party. <laughs> yeah, so I don't know. And, and the funny thing is, you know, of course, back then, no one could really comprehend that. I mean, you know, in high school... It was just like skateboarders were not looked up to at all. You know what I mean? Yeah. It was crazy because back then people were looking at magazines too. That was the whole thing. Like, it was yep. like if you were in the magazine, that was the that was the dream right there. Least- well, and, and the first time I ever met Phelps, years, years later, um, when he took over the magazine, and he's such an encyclopedia, the first thing I saw him was, like, hey, what's up, Phelps? I can't wrestle. Thrasher T-shirt, Hydrant. I was like, damn, how'd you remember that? He's like, I know, I know everything. I, I remember every Thrasher shirt. Damn, that's so it was, sick. Yeah, he just remembered everything. It was crazy. <laughs> all right, all right, we're jumping around now because I'm getting sprack. I'm getting spracky now. Um, all right. Um, top, not top three. Give me a couple of your favorite movies. One or two of them. Oh, jeez. I know. Um, I think about this, and I'm always really curious about people's favorite movies. You know, I always liked The Bronx Tale. Oh, sick. Really good. Yeah, because it's, yeah, it's kind of like that old classic movie with, like, real characters, good actors, and it kind of had a good message, and especially me growing up, kind of, like, identifying with the whole race thing, you know? Like, my mom is black, my real dad was white, and my stepdad is the one who raised me since I was little, like, six years old, but he was black, too, but... Here's me, this kind of light-skinned mixed kid, and and you know I had friends come over to my house. They're trying, you know, they're looking at my parents. They're looking at me like, damn, how'd you come out so light? You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> so it's kind of like that whole. So when I saw that movie and I saw this like kind of like white Italian kid trying to get together with this black girl from the other side of town, and how that was just kind of like taboo in that era, and and how that all kind of happened. Like it was just interesting to see all these dynamics and like the neighborhoods and the people, and you know that whole movie kind of had a cool impact on me. Yeah, that's awesome, man. I never, I never really would have took that angle, but it's cool to hear that. I have a nephew who's like, uh, I don't know what the correct word is, but mulatto, like black. Right, mixed. Like, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, I always wonder. I talked to him about it a little bit, like how it is, and now it is. It's more normal, but back then it was definitely more strange, you know, compared to yeah. today. <laughs> For sure. So movies like that are kind of classic. Just a lot of the movies from those eras. I mean, sometimes you just look at some of these like cool movies from back in the day and. And you're just thinking, like, man, they just don't make them like that anymore. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely, dude. Especially with animation. Like, I, I really like... I have my top three, and two of my top three are cartoons. Uh, One's uh, Sword in the Stone. And that, it, and it's an amazing cartoon movie, but I just like the illustrations. Like, it's all hand-drawn. It's like back when, like, Disney was drawing the cells out, you know? It's like, I love... They don't make it like that anymore. Now it's all computer... I feel like I'm old now talking like this. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's, there's some old movies that, you know, you thought were so cool, and then, like, I was showing to my kids, and I'm like, Dad, can you please change? This is awful. <laughs> like, I remember I remember growing up and seeing The Dark Crystal. Yeah, hell yeah. Okay. And I thought that was a really crazy cool movie because of that fact. It wasn't, like, computer animated. It was all done by, like, puppets, and it was all, like, live animation stuff. And then, you know, I showed it to my daughter, and she's like, this is the worst movie ever made. Like, are you kidding me? Look, it's so cheesy. You know she, what I mean? She's like, they're making, they're they're taking popsicle sticks and making dolls out of them. And totally. Like, Watch it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. I think, you know, de- definitely different, different era, you know? Yeah, they got Transformers nowadays. It's like. For sure. They can make anything. It's insane. Um, yeah, man. I think we covered it, dude. I think I held you up long enough. I'm trying to think. I know there's more. And actually, I was going to ask you what your ethnicity was, but you covered that already. Yeah, beat you to it. Yeah. <laughs> that's, good. that's good, though. It's a good It's a good subject to talk about. 
Um, yeah, man, I just appreciate you coming on the podcast, and I thank thank you for your time, and I appreciate all your hard work with building skate parks and and uh, designing them, and I really appreciate your help with the Boston one, man, because a lot of people right around here were are super excited, and then they were super passionate, and then they got super bummed out because it lingered for over twelve years, and like no one seemed to like figure we're gonna no one was gonna solve the problem and it's cool that you guys came and you know took on a challenge and it actually came through like i was emailing you after the meeting oh i remember and i remember and the the process was so long so tedious and at the time i was like man i don't even have an answer because this is just taking so damn long you know what i mean like we were getting frustrated and uh we weren't it was kind of like we were talking about before though like we just weren't gonna give up we were just gonna we're not gonna throw in the towel we're just gonna keep going until it happens and and last time I was out there in Boston, you know, the week before last, I was walking from the Stantec office, which is, like, right around the corner. Yeah. So I'm lo- walking over there, and, like, you can just see the cool views of the harbor and the Zakem Bridge and walking over. And then you're, like, walking toward it, and it just kind of unveils itself. I was like, man, this is going to be amazing. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it's just the setting is so perfect, so convenient to get to. It's just going to really change, like, skateboarding in that area so so much. It's going to be super cool. Yeah, I'm super excited to see it. And uh, I checked out online. You guys have, like, the digitalized, like, uh, YouTube video where you can see the an- The fly-through. Yeah, the yeah. fly-through is so cool looking. And it's, it's cool because you guys have all the different angles. So you can see, like, the transitions and all the di- – it's done really well. Where can people see that? Um, Do you, you know? know what? Maybe I'll post a link. I'll post a link on um... – on the uh, we have like the Stantec um, Action Sport Group like Facebook page. I think just quite a bit. Maybe I'll just post a link there and and uh, or I'll actually send it to you and you can post it. Yeah, you know I mean? I'll reshare it for sure. Yeah, you you could share it and then we'll do that and then um, I think that'd be cool for people to see that for sure. Are you gonna come out for the grand opening and all that? Oh yeah, I'll be there probably a couple more times even before then. So I'll hit you up next time I come out there. We can do. Uh, Maybe we can do a special edition podcast for the opening and all that. You know what I mean? Dude, that would be so cool. And it would just be cool to come hang out and say hi and maybe have a pint or something. <laughs> yeah, most definitely. Most definitely. Cool. Well, Ken, and thank you for everything, man. Seriously, I can't thank you enough for the Boston Skate Park support. And uh, thanks for being stand-up, dude. Appreciate it. Thank you, homie. Thanks for doing what you do. Hang on, brothers and sisters. Liberation is near. It's almost time. Experience the train. Uh, 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 uh,